When I was growing up, I had a family member who always told the most outlandish stories that you can ever imagine. And when he would say that, I would say, come on, man, that just can't be true. Listen, when it comes to hearing stories that are hard to believe, we become a skeptic. The Word of God, as long as it's been around for thousands of years, has always had skeptics. Yet, you would never imagine that one of the biggest skeptics in the New Testament was somebody who was totally entrenched in the religious system, in the belief in the Word of God. Today we're going to talk about the consequences of skepticism. My name is Trey Rhodes, and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Northwood Baptist Church. It's great to have you along. We appreciate you coming and being a part. I guess you noticed that the I'm trying to make the audio study guide shorter, so we're trying to do uh, shooting for 20 minutes instead of 30 minutes, and also the letter that goes with it is also shorter, so I'm trying to bullet point it for you to help you uh, save some time and hopefully read it more often. I want you to get all the help that you can get and especially when you have one of your co-teachers or maybe somebody that is uh, substituting for you, that you can uh, send them this information and hopefully it'll help them even if they listen to the audio study guide and simply go over the discussion questions with me. Um, I think that'll help immensely and open up some opportunities for people who maybe not are the best teachers but certainly could help lead a discussion. And so that leads me to my next point, that as we come to the new year, we are looking at continuing to multiply our classes and by the way that's why we have done so well because we have continued to multiply classes so uh, as you have people in your life connection group that you think hey that person could lead uh, a discussion group uh, that you know maybe they're one of the ones that's always involved always sharing in the class then uh, come to me and let's get them trained and set up and let's get them at least being a a co-teacher or maybe a substitute teacher as we prepare them to help us teach more new Life Connection groups in the next year. Next year we want to start five new Life Connection groups and I would like th- at least three of those to be at the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, again, that's up to the Lord and up to how it all works, but that would that's my goal. So be praying with us as we do that and move towards having Life Connection groups earlier. Uh, oh, excuse yeah, having the Life Connection groups later and ha- so that they can go to the early worship service because if we're going to continue to grow, We've got to grow in that 930 service, as you know. All right, if you would like this material and you're listening from somewhere around the world, please just email me. My name is Trey, T-R-E-Y, at northwoodbaptist.com. That's uh, Northwood, and then Baptist is spelled B-A-P-T-I-S-T dot com. And uh, I will get your email, and I will add you to a list that can go to you every single week when we send this out. And I want to wish a happy Thanksgiving to all my Life Connection Group leaders. I want to, to my care leaders, to the co-teachers, and to even substitute teachers that are listening to this. I hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and and this will be released on Thanksgiving Day. So you might not listen to it Friday, but I hope that this weekend has been good for you. All right, let's jump right into Luke. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1. We're going to be talking about this unexpected skeptic. And you remember the story that he used about the woman didn't get what she expected, so she reported this barbecue restaurant that had a little bit of pink in the meat to a 911 trying to get him in trouble for that. And 
the whole Christmas story is really one of the unexpected. You know, think, think about God entering human history. Think about um, this idea of God doing great and mighty things through a, a lowly girl. Think about all these things that would come together in this Christmas story, how Joseph would have to struggle with recognizing whether his wife was for real or, or whether or not she was uh, being immoral behind his back. I mean, there was all kinds of interesting dynamics going on in this story. Um, now, you might say in this story that you would not struggle with unbelief. You'd say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I believe. But do you live as God is able to do more than you can ask or think? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21, Pastor Tommy challenges us with that. And there are three barriers that we can have, and we're going to talk about those really quickly here. Uh, a little bit of background, Gospel of Luke is the first volume of Luke's story, then we have uh, that's the Gospel of Jesus, then we have Acts, which is the birth of the church, both written by Luke. Uh, 27% of the New Testament is written by Luke. Uh, he was a doctor, he was a Gentile, and that meant he was a careful researcher. He was much more scientific than somebody that was just... Uh, writing the materials would be, so he would have a lot more details that a lot of others would not. Um, so what happens is we have this king, Herod. He's appointed the king of Judea. And by the way, he is appointed by Rome. He was not voted in by the Jews. And so um, Israel was under his, under his um, I guess, rulership, and they hated it. They wanted freedom. And so that was not what Israel wanted when they thought of being a nation that was not that type of nation. So we have the Old Testament story ending with the people. They're coming out of exile. They're repopulating the land. Uh, and they're, they are actually a different people. They're no longer given to idolatry, uh, no longer idolatrous, uh, increasingly religious these people are. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were, all, were there to make sure that uh, they they towed the line, and because of that, they put these incredible religious demands on them. And so for 400 years, there was no word from God. God had been silent. So in these difficult, difficult times, there was this devoted priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Both, by the way, were from the priestly line of Aaron, just like they were supposed to be. Both were righteous. Both lived, both lived godly lives. Both were, uh, were you know, a part of the, the Torah. The, the law was a part of their lives. Uh, they had done like I'm sure most had. They had memorized it. They trusted God, but what had happened is because uh, they, they said, you know, I trust God and here I have no child. And a lot of times that was seen as a punishment. Um, so uh, Zechariah is uh, twice a year went to Jerusalem. And by the way, there are 24,000 priests in Israel. And uh, he was chosen to be the one who went in and uh, gave to gave to the Lord, or uh, did the incense in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And so that day, the lot fell to him. And so when he goes in there, he, he, he hears from God. And he, he prays for Messiah to rescue him. He prays for his wife. Uh, you know, I can imagine that those are the type of thing, things he's doing. And, and in the midst of that, Gabriel appears. There's, there's only two named in the Bible, by the way, Gabriel and Michael. And here's Gabriel. He's usually the messenger. And, of course, it scares Zechariah to death. Uh, you know, he's thinking, is, am I going to be judged? A lot of times the angel of death would come, so he didn't know. So he says, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. You will have a son. So John sets, is to be set apart from birth. That's what we call the Nazarite vow. Not the Nazarene vow, the Nazarite vow, devoted to the Lord's work. 
a son that would know would prepare the way for the Lord, and uh, so much so that Jesus would say, "There's no one born greater of woman than John the Baptist." Now, John fulfills Malachi three; he fulfills Malachi four. You can go back and look at the notes if you want more information about that. But when all that happens, Zechariah is skeptic. He says things like, "I'm old, and have you seen my wife? You know, she dried up a long time ago." So here's this angel standing in front of you, and he doesn't believe. So, you know, Gabriel says, you won't speak until the child is born because you did not believe. Now, people outside are waiting. Zechariah exits the temple. He can't speak. He goes home. Elizabeth does end up getting pregnant. God is no longer silent. God not only says what's going to happen, it does happen. And Elizabeth says, God has taken away my disgrace. Zechariah is the unexpected skeptic, a believer in God, who we would really expect to respond in faith, not with a lack of faith. Here's the deal. Even though we are people of faith, we all have moments of lack of faith. Why? Because that is what is hindering, whatever it is that's hindering our faith, our trust in God and what God can do and not us, that is our skepticism. All right, so let's talk about those three things that we can look at. There's three principles that we can look at to help us understand uh, what God wants uh, for us. And if you have any of these three barriers, then you need to examine. If your Life Connection group has any of these three barriers, then you need to help them examine that. Number one, I focus on my limitations and not God's limitless power. You know, these are the things like I can't versus God can, and that's what it is. So let's do the, the, the God can't thing. You know, we should be saying I can't, God can, but we usually say God can't, all right? God can't use me, and we might fill in the blank for why he can't use us because, you know, I, I was, uh, did this in my past, uh, my, my, my time of usefulness is gone. Uh, I no longer am gifted. I'm not able to do, use what God wants. Uh, or God won't use me because. Uh, and we might say the other things, like maybe that divorce you went through, or a lifestyle issue or something like that. So what you put in the blank becomes your excuse for unbelief. That is your skepticism. You're, skeptic. You're a skeptic in that area. Number two, I focus on my disappointments and not God's guaranteed promises. The guaranteed promise is God will accomplish his purpose to redeem you and bring you to eternal presence. And by the way, there is nothing that can stop that. In Zechariah, God's bringing about his guaranteed promise to the world. They prayed. God hadn't answered. Elizabeth carried the disgrace of barrenness. And in disappointment, we then, just like Elizabeth did, we doubt and we question, we lose hope. And if we're not careful, we turn to another Savior. So when we're disappointed, this is what happens. We blame the thing that disappointed you, you know. Now that's why, you know, that's why it happened, because I wasn't able to have a baby or my spouse ran off or, uh, you, know, I, you know, whatever it was, you know, my job just treats me like dirt and all and on and on. You blame yourself. You know, you start saying, I'm the problem. You, you say, it's me, it's me, it's me. Um, then you blame the world. You say, well, you know, this world is so terrible and it, this, this, this world is terrible and broken and it's the world's fault. And uh, there can be no real happiness in the world. Or you realize that God is at work even in the seasons of disappointment. Yes, that's true. God can work even when we're disappointed. God does not need our joy to do his work, but it sure is good to be lined up with God, isn't it? And then the third barrier that we use is this. I focus on my religious obligations, not God's transforming word. There are three questions we need to ask every time that we gather as believers. Why am I here? So why did you come to church this morning? Ask your Life Connection group that. You know, is it because of tradition, because of the right thing to do, because I've always done it? What's your real motivation? What do I expect from God? 
Do you expect God to change you? How about point out sin in your life to bring you to repentance? You know, I, I think that there are people, and maybe even you, who need to, every now and again, we all need to go to the altar every now and again, you know? And a matter of fact, I wouldn't, if I had the opportunity, I would go to the altar every single week. I, I have to go down, I, I have to go down front and help people that come forward. But if I had that opportunity, I would. And, and there's, you've probably seen me at the altar. Listen, we need to go to the altar more when God speaks to us. Uh, how about this question? What does God want from me? God not, might not want you to be the parent of John the Baptist. As a matter of fact, I can guarantee he doesn't want that. But what God does want is something from you. He wants your worship. He wants your obedience. He wants your trust. It's more than just adhering to just some religious obligation if we're going to follow Christ. It is doing what God wants. It's worshiping him like he wants. It's letting him do what he is able to do and trusting him to do it. So in Luke 1, we have the start of the Christmas story that calls us to believe that God so loved the world that he loves you that at the right time he sent his son into the world, born as a babe in Bethlehem, a baby that would grow in wisdom and stature of God, a baby who is the savior of the world. And this child in the Old Testament, uh, promised in the Old Testament, lived a perfect life and died as a substitute for you. If there's someone in your life connection group has not been a, is not a follower of Jesus, make sure before they leave that they hear the gospel and that they're able to respond to that message. And I'm going to be praying that God brings somebody to Christ in your life connection group this week. All right, let's look at the, look at the discussion questions. As always, um, you might want to look through several of these. One of, the, one of the best to kind of get people talking. And some classes are doing this, and this might be a good thing. You know, uh, what's your favorite Christmas tradition? Or, you know, especially Christmas time, you can talk about things like that. Uh, what, what was your most disappointing Christmas? You know, you can talk about things like that, and that can even open it up even more, uh, more before you get to this, these discussion questions. Maybe write it out on the board, you know, one-word answers or something like that. Uh, number one is always a good one to get people talking. What do you look forward to most during the Christmas season? What are your favorite Christmas traditions? So that, that should help you out a little bit. Um, and if you want to get into the Gospels and try to help explain what the differences are, you can certainly do that. Um, and uh, Luke, is, as we know, is written to Gentiles like us, uh, logical people like us, whereas Matthew was written to the Jews. Mark was probably written to uh, the Romans. And then John was written to the world. So uh, every one of the Gospels is different. All right. Let's read Luke 1, 1 through 4, and ask this question. How does Luke introduce his gospel? Well, he introduces it, you remember, talking to Theophilus, and what he wants to do is give a, an account, a, a, a definite account or a studied account of, of the life and times of Jesus. And he wants to get witnesses involved. He wants to interview people. All the things that a historian should be doing, he's going to do that. So what does Luke tell us to help? help us to know that we can trust what he is writing. And we just talked about that, the, the witnesses and, and getting, getting the, to the bottom line. Theophilus, remember about Theophilus? He was probably a, uh, he could have been somebody that supported Paul. Maybe he was supporting uh, the work, excuse me, the, the supported the work of Luke, not Paul, uh, supporting the work of Luke, maybe supporting the writing of this gospel. Uh, also, he could have just been uh, somebody that just represents people that follow God, that love God. Theophilus means lover of God. So it could have been that. So there's, there's several things. could just be a, a, friend, of, a friend of Luke that he uh, wrote to. So maybe it was also a, somebody that he could have done it generally because he didn't want anybody to get in trouble. 
Uh, so anyway, all those are possibilities. All right, Luke, Luke, read Luke 1, 5 through 7. We'll read those now. Uh, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive uh, and both of them were well along in years. So the question is, wh who was King Herod? Why is King Herod significant to Luke's story? Okay, let's go back to King Herod. King Herod was this guy, he was a Moabite, and he was uh, put into place by Rome to rule over Israel. Not Israel's dream about what Israel would be like when they became a nation. All right, so it's, it's kind of a tough thing for them. So why is King Herod significant to Luke's story? Well, if you remember, King Herod being the man that he was, uh, he was the one that actually calls for a census later. And so he was a part of the story, even though he didn't even know that he was a part of the story. He didn't understand that, that at all. Um, so, uh, so this Israel is longing for someone who is going to free them. And in his own way, King Herod is the one that makes it possible for Jesus to be born and fulfill prophecy being born in Bethlehem as, as uh, God intended. All right, um, note that Luke tells us two things about Zechariah and Elizabeth. First, they were godly. Well, they were, they were why is that significant? Well, think about it. I mean, these were, these were people that God had, the idea was that God had a relationship with these people. He, they were of God. They sought to do God's work. They sought to do God's will. They were raised that way. They would have understood this idea of this Messiah who would be prophesied, and they would have understood that, that there would come one that would, that would uh, clarion, have a clarion call to him coming. Uh, they lived these godly lives. Um, so here we got the godliness, not in the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but the godliness in this elderly couple. All right. Uh, second, Elizabeth was barren. Now, Elizabeth wasn't the only barren woman in the Bible. So how does this story remind you of Abraham and Sarah's story? Very similar, old, beyond years. Sarah didn't believe it. Remember, the, the situation was Abraham was a little incredulous, but Sarah didn't believe it. She laughed. Um, so there's, there's a lot of uh, similarities there. Let them talk about that a little bit. You might want to do some pre-research and go back to that. Why do you think God chooses to work through barren women? Well, I think the answer is rather obvious. He chooses to work through barren women for the simple reason that they can't have children. And so when it happens, you have to say, this was God that did this. All right, Luke 1, 8 through 13. We're not going to read all those, but basically it starts out this way. Um, this is talking about Zechariah. He was serving as a priest before God when his, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary and to burn incense. And you can read the rest of it if you'd like. Um, but so... Um, why was it so significant that Zechariah had the opportunity to enter the holy place of the temple to burn incense? This was a big deal. There's 24,000 of them there. He was one of the 24,000 and chosen, and it had to be his, him and his wife who were going to have this child, right? Because it had to be this child who was going to be born who would then be the one who would cry, be one that's crying in the wilderness. So it had to be him that did it. So God had to design all that so that Zechariah was the one that went in. So why was Zechariah terrified when he saw the angel Gabriel? Well, remember we talked about that, the death angel, and sometimes, uh, many times angels were about judgment. 
And so maybe he thought he had messed up, and so he was going down. So, uh, and besides that, angels are very bright and very unusual looking. Uh, they're very uh, overwhelming. Uh, look at Isaiah 6 if you want to understand a little bit about angels. It had been 400 years since God had spoken to anyone. Why is this significant? This was the first time that God had spoken. He had finished up with Malachi. Some people think maybe somebody a little later than that, but certainly Malachi. The last words were curse. I will bring the curse on a land. And so now here is Zechariah hearing from God after 400 years. No one came out of the Holy of Holies said that God spoke to him. And here Zechariah has God speak to him. Something big is about to happen. All right, Luke 1, 13 to 17, and Malachi 3, 1, and you can go back and read those if you want to, 3, 1, 4, 4 through 6, and I would recommend you have somebody read those. What do we learn about John the Baptist from this passage? Uh, he was the one that was going to cry out. He was going to be the one that would uh, bring, uh, look to the anticipation of the one who would come and, and deliver, uh, deliver Israel. Um, he, and then the goal was to point people and prepare them for the coming king. That's what John did. That's why his role was so significant. So that they would know for sure, for certain, he was the Messiah. All right, read Luke 8, 1, 18 to 20. Why do you think Zechariah responded in disbelief? Um, we can only guess. But, um, you know, he's an old guy. And he basically says to God, uh, says to Gabriel, I mean, and then ultimately to God. Uh, and if you've seen my wife. Um, and then he says, well, how do you not believe? God has spoken. And so he's skeptical. So, you know, you can imagine that that would be the reason. And, and just the disbelief that this is happening after 400 years, too. So why did God strike Zechariah mute? Well, we know why. God speaks, and when God speaks, Zechariah doesn't listen. So God says, because of that, you're no longer speaking. That's the, that's the significance of it. So God, he came out and people knew that something had happened in the holy place because he opens his mouth and no words come out. He exits the temple, deaf, or excuse me, mute. Some, uh, well, my wife reminded me that some people think that he was also deaf, but whether or not that's the case, he certainly was mute. Uh, so... Um, this is, this is what happens to Zechariah. So was God's discipline, that's supposed to be discipline of Zechariah, it's a disciple. God's discipline of Zechariah, too harsh, why or why not? Uh, I think it wasn't harsh at all because he relieved it later. He, he did get to speak. And uh, anyway, he was able to communicate as well, even though it was writing. He was able to communicate and get, get the job done that needed to be done, announcing who his son's, what his son's name was going to be, John. All right, Luke 1, 21 to 23, we are going to read those. Uh, the Bible tells us, starting in verse 21, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them, and then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. So here's this crowd. They're amazed. They know that something significant has happened in the holy place. They knew after 400 years and 400 times of priests coming out of the Holy of Holies, now this time, when there was no word, now God was no longer silent. That's the significance. 
All right, read Luke 1, 24 to 25. Uh, let's go ahead and read those. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked in favor of these days to take away my disgrace among the people. So here we have, why do these verse, what do these verses show us about Elizabeth's faith? Well, she believed. She, uh, she immediately said that God has taken away her disgrace. She knew that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Um, she disgrace and not having a child was always uh, a trouble, right? And uh, look, people looked down on them, so that was her disgrace. And what do these verses teach about a God that cares for us? God cares enough that he hears our prayers even when no one else can help us. He can. All right, let's apply the truth. Uh, God desires to work powerfully in our lives, yet we often focus on our limitations instead of God's power. What limitations in your own life do you tend to focus on when you take your eyes off the power of God. Well, they might talk about, you know, I, 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 my finances are not where they need to be. My relationship with my husband, my wife is not where it needs to be. Uh, my children are away from me. There's no hope. On and on and on. They're giving you reasons why. Let your life connection kind of fill, that, fill in that blank. Number two, sometimes we are skeptical in our faith because of disappointing things that have happened in our lives. Often we can't see past the disappointment. Here's the question. How should we respond to the disappointments of life? How should we respond to the disappointments of life? Well, um, you know, we say things like God can't use me and we fill in the blanks. But the way that we respond is instead of blaming and playing the game, blame game, that what we do is we, we then turn to God and we say things like, God is at work even in the seasons of disappointment. In our life that is full of disappointments, God is at work. Often we can't see past the disappointment. How should we respond to the disappointments of life? Is that we should go to the truth, know what God's reality is, recognize God is at work, and that you can believe him and trust him, and that is what walking in faith is all about. So how can religious traditions and obligations become a barrier? Uh, okay, sorry, we, get, we religious obligations and traditions... How do we get stuck in religious obligations? Well, there's all kind of ways, just the way we were raised, our traditions. Uh, we've, we've gotten into the mode ourselves. Uh, they might talk about how that happens in their lives because we've all been there. So how can religious traditions and obligations become a barrier to actually trusting God? Um, so we need to make sure that when we come to do God's work and what God wants, we need to ask questions. Here they are. Why am I here? What do I expect from God? And what does God want from me? So... Go back to those three questions on the sermon and help and uh, ask those questions. And it's more, understand that more Christian faith is more than just adhering to religious obligations, not a list of do's and don'ts that we do. It is a, an ongoing, loving, and caring relationship with the God of the universe. All right, so what do you think God is calling you to do in response to Luke 1, 1 through 25? And then how are you going to pray this week? So pray over them as you finish up. And then number three, what is one way you can respond to your own skepticism this week? Something that you're not trusting in God, how can you now trust in God for, okay? All right, guys, well, thank you for listening. I appreciate the opportunity. We had to go a little long because I did give a little background to the book of Luke, so I hope that helps you. And if there's anything I can do to serve you or help you or help you understand, please feel free to contact me, Trey, at NorthwoodBaptist.com, and I will get back to you probably not Thursday or Friday, but certainly by Saturday, okay? God bless. And love you guys. Let me pray for you. 
Dear God, thank you for the Life Connection groups. Thank you for our Life Connection group leaders, and care leaders, and everybody that's involved. Lord, I pray that you would use us this week to, as we handle the precious word of life. May it touch hearts and touch lives for your glory and for your honor. And Lord, if there's someone there that is skeptical about what Jesus can do in their lives, especially when it comes to them being forgiven and saved from their sin, that today can be the day when they make that transition from darkness to light and they see Jesus for who he is, the forgiver and the redeemer of our souls. And Lord, we thank you for all you're going to do and thank you for the blessings of all good things, especially Jesus who died on the cross to give us eternal life and rose again on the third day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.